Let's find out if the internet says it's true. Welcome to the show. I have to start this week by saying thank you. Last week's episode had more single-day downloads than any other episode I've done. So thank you for listening. Thank you to those of you who have recently discovered the show. And thanks to all the people who have left a five-star review on the Podcasts app. If you haven't done that already, it really does help more people find the podcast. So please take a couple minutes to go to the Apple Podcast app or just do it on the browser version. Leave a five-star review, but don't forget to accompany that with a few words. It doesn't even have to make sense. Apple's algorithm is set up so that if you leave text with your five stars, it will help this podcast get suggested to more people. Also, if you're interested in seeing start to finish how an episode gets made, I put a behind-the-scenes video up on Patreon last week. It shows how I write, record, and edit the episode, and you can see me messing up and fixing it, which is a lot of fun. That's available along with hours and hours of bonus content in the form of unedited guest quizzes over at Patreon. You can join for as little as a dollar a month. Go to patreon.com slash Kent. Now... Let's get on with the show. This week's topic comes from Matt. Hey, Michael. This is Matt from Ohio. I recently learned about the Wilmington Insurrection of 1898, which was the very first and only successful coup d'etat on American soil. Thought you'd like to look that up. Thanks. I have to say, I love reading about American history. I've read a ton of American history books, but I have never heard of this. I suppose it's important that we first talk about the meaning of coup d'etat. The official definition is the removal and seizure of a government and its powers. Typically, it's an illegal, unconstitutional seizure of power by a political faction, military, or dictator. I can assume that this topic came up because of the stuff that happened on January 6th, but that's really interesting. I never knew there was any sort of American insurrection like this after the Civil War. Let's check this out. At first glance, it looks like this is known by several different names, so there's a lot to search for. It's called The Lost History of an American Coup d'Etat in the Atlantic. Uh, Other articles refer to this as the Wilmington Insurrection, the Insurrection of 1898, the 1898 Race Riots, or the Wilmington Massacre. While politics plays into this, it's immediately clear that this is a story about racial tension and white supremacy in America. And being so, I can tell already that this is going to be an episode that deals with a sensitive topic. So trigger warning on that. I'll try to explain it the best I can, but some of this stuff is probably pretty uncomfortable. To talk about the events leading up to what happened in Wilmington in 1898, I think it's important to paint a picture of where things were at politically. After the Civil War, Republicans in the South favored and promoted a reconstruction that aligned with the view that Abraham Lincoln had held. One where freed slaves were given land to farm and to build a life for themselves. The Democratic Party at the time, remember this was before the parties sort of switched, was an all-white party fighting for small government and fighting against reconstruction policies that they felt threatened their power and land. The story of how the party switched over the next 20 to 30 years is an interesting story, but the Democratic Party of 1898 looked more like the Republican Party that we know today. In 1894, 
mostly white populist party members in North Carolina had joined together with mostly black North Carolinians to create what was known as the Fusion Party. Five years later, members of this party had been voted into local offices, making for the first time a biracial government in Wilmington. Wilmington was a majority black city, but had always been ruled by white people. They saw Republicans fighting for Reconstruction as race traitors. In Wilmington, black people had been elected to office and held positions of power in the city. One of those was the U.S. Customs Collector at the port. Following the election of Republican William McKinley as U.S. President, a black man was put into that position, which had previously been held by a prominent white Democrat. The Daily Record, a Wilmington newspaper, was owned by Alexander Manley, a black man. Economically, the people in Wilmington's black population were moving out of service jobs and into higher paying jobs. This was ahead of its time, especially considering that governments around the country were making laws to raise barriers and promote racial segregation. In 1890, for example, Mississippi adopted a new state constitution that raised almost impassable barriers to allow black Americans the right to vote. These Jim Crow laws were being adopted all over the country. The 14th Amendment that allowed African Americans equal protection under the law was being circumvented and undermined by local and state governments. Even though Wilmington's black residents were seeing more power and money than in other areas of the country, there was still a huge disparity when compared with the white residents. Even though the city was 60% black, they owned 8% of the property. The per capita wealth for white people in Wilmington was $550 and less than $30 for black people. Prominent white Wilmington residents wrote sentiments in the local paper that this proved white superiority over the city's black residents. After all, they argued, they had seen 30 years of freedom and hadn't risen to the same level of wealth as the white man absolutely ridiculous. One quote from a Washington Post journalist, Henry L. West, says, quote, The Negro in North Carolina is thriftless, improvident, does not accumulate money, and is not accounted as a desirable citizen. End quote. I know this stuff is hard to listen to, but I think it's important that we learn these things to understand. This was the overwhelming sentiment at the time by white Americans in the South and the tensions continued to rise. So it becomes easy to understand that when the Fusion Party gained power in Wilmington with biracial members and some of their agenda, which included debt relief and free coinage, the white Democrats were angry. They began a campaign in 1898 of white supremacy and railed against what they called Negro rule. They specifically made this a major issue to try to regain power in the city. So what you can see brewing here is a perfect storm, and it all comes to a head that November. We'll talk about that after a few quick words, and I apologize in advance. This is a really weird transition out of some really heavy subject matter to, uh, to some upbeat ads, but uh, got to do it. So we'll see you in a few minutes. Do you like jokes? How about stories? What about magic tricks? If you said yes to any of those, you'll love my weekly live stream show, Joke Story Trick Live. Every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, we gather to tell listener jokes, do magic, even learn magic 
and bring on a special guest to tell a story. We've had everyone from a sitting U.S. congressman to television stars to WWE wrestlers. It's always a great time, and it's a free show. Just go to jokestorytrick.com to watch past episodes or tune in every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's jokestorytrick.com. I hope to see you there. I'm excited to be partnered with this company because it's a product that I've used and loved for years. Scotty Vest makes gear that looks great and is packed with pockets. And as much as I travel, that's always been a huge perk. But even on years like this one where I don't travel as much, my Scotty Vest fleece is just as useful because I'm always carrying so much stuff with me. My wallet, my phones, my keys, my mask, and there's a pocket for everything. Not only that, they now have an awesome new face mask that allows you to even use a straw while wearing it. Go to scottyvest.com, that's S-C-O-T-T-E-V-E-S-T.com, and use my promo code, tell me, all one word, for 15% off your order. That's scottyvest.com, and enter promo code, tell me. If you're a fan of this show, my other show, Joke Story Trick, or my comedy magic career in general, you should consider supporting me by joining my Patreon. I work hard to make sure that there's always fresh content on there including bonus footage, exclusive videos, and free stuff like stickers, balloons, drink koozies, and more. You can join for as little as a dollar a month and can leave at any time. I consider the folks over at Patreon my most loyal and true fans, and I would love to see you there too. Just go to patreon.com slash Michael Kent and choose what level of membership is best for you. You can pledge $1, $5, or $10 and get more and more bonuses the more you pledge. Once again, that's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. This is where we start talking about a guy named Alfred Moore Waddell. Real piece of work. He was a four-time congressman who had lost his seat and began speaking around the country, spreading a message of white people being oppressed. He riled people up everywhere he went, convincing them that the black freedmen were going to take their jobs and their power. He would stand outside voting locations to intimidate black voters and distribute anti-black propaganda. Waddell is going to become an important figure in this story soon. The situation in Wilmington had become a boiling pot of racial tension, but it was a series of newspaper opinion articles that made it boil over. One of the threats that white Southerners lobbied against black men was the threat of the black rapist. When white women would sleep with black men, it was always painted as rape, no matter what. It was always painted as an attack that the white woman couldn't have wanted. And this was one of the most common causes that led to lynchings. After a prominent woman suffragist made a speech complaining about the black men as rapists and called them, quote, ravening human beasts, black newspaper owner and editor Alexander Manley wrote an op-ed to set the record straight on August 18, 1898. In his article, he said that many white women were not being raped by black men, but willingly slept with them. As if that wasn't enough to incite anger in the local white population, he went on to say that if white women were really being raped, then, quote, we suggest that the whites guard their women more closely, end quote. He ended the article by calling out the hypocrisy of the white men who commonly slept with African-American women. Soon after this article, word had spread, and militant white supremacists started gathering in Wilmington, 
including a group known as the Red Shirts, a paramilitary arm of the Democratic Party. Alfred Waddell, who I mentioned earlier, traveled to Wilmington with the hopes that he could be seen as a patriot and leader in this cause to solve the so-called problem for the North Carolina white population. They marched, rallied, paraded around Wilmington through the fall of 1898 until the November election, when they won easily. And by won easily, I mean they threatened to kill any black voters they saw and rigged the election. Even though they won the election, there were many black officials and white Republicans still in power because they weren't up for re-election. But what this group of white supremacists couldn't achieve at the ballot box, they decided to achieve by force. They created a document they called the White Declaration of Independence. And on November 9th, had Alfred Waddell read the list of demands in front of a packed courthouse. It listed eight bullet points. In them were complaints that the white man hadn't been given enough power in the city and that blacks should turn over businesses to whites, shouldn't congregate or speak to whites, that only whites should be employed in new jobs, and that Alexander Manley, who had written the newspaper article, should be expelled from the city. The group gave Wilmington's black residents 12 hours to respond. What they didn't know was that Manley was ahead of them. He had already shut down his press and left town after learning that the red shirts were threatening to kill him. Nevertheless, the committee of white men needed a response. They asked to meet with a committee of 32 of Wilmington's prominent black citizens, who pleaded that they didn't control Manley and didn't condone the editorial. But it didn't matter. They wrote a letter as a response to Waddell, but he never received it. The next morning, all hell broke loose. 500 white men raided the local armory, armed themselves with weapons, and then went to the building that housed the Daily Record, Manley's newspaper. They torched the building. As the crowd of white men swelled to 2,000, they started marching through the city. Rumors circulated that the black men in Wilmington were arming themselves and had started fighting back. They hadn't. In fact, they hadn't done anything. The group of white men stormed through the black neighborhoods, indiscriminately shooting into black homes and attacking any black citizen they could find. As they were being hunted, any black person that could escaped into the swamps surrounding the city, many never to return again. It wasn't just the citizens that were the targets of the riotous mob. They wanted power. So they marched into the city council and forced all the Republicans and black men to surrender their offices at gunpoint. This included the town's Republican mayor, the mob instantly replaced him with Alfred Waddell, who was given a list of prominent black citizens in Wilmington. Those people were forced to leave the city. By the end of the riots, lots of Wilmington's black population had been killed. It's not known for sure how many, but estimates range from 60 to as many as 300. 2,000 others had fled the town and never returned forced out of their homes and businesses. For the white Democratic Party, it was considered a success. They had successfully carried out a coup d'etat to claim power by force. It was the only successful example of this happening in America. I wish I could say that North Carolina used this as a lesson in what to avoid in the future, but they didn't. The insurrection was described in history books as a heroic effort to avoid disastrous reconstruction policies. The victims were portrayed in the books as the ones who incited the riot 
and were quickly put down. It wasn't until 2007 that the North Carolina Democratic Party acknowledged and renounced the actions of those party leaders. It's still not taught in most schools. All these years later, we see white supremacy rearing its head, even storming the Capitol building in a failed coup attempt in January of 2021. Just three years ago, North Carolina installed a mile marker sign to commemorate the event. It reads, Armed white mob met at Armory here, November 10, 1898. Marched six blocks and burned office of daily record, black-owned newspaper. Violence left untold numbers of African Americans dead. Led to overthrow of city government and installation of coup leader as mayor was part of a statewide political campaign based on calls for white supremacy and the exploitation of racial prejudice. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend and see if they already know what we have just learned. Now, this part of the podcast is usually fun and lighthearted, and I know it's a pretty hard segue to go from such a tragic and serious topic to sort of a fun quiz segment. But let's think of it this way. As horrible as this is to learn about, we're all better for knowing about it now. So it's time to lighten the mood just a tad and bring on my friend who is an author and comedian, Dan Wilbur. Hello. What's going on, man? <laughs> Good to see you. I just saw you the other day. You did uh, You yes. did my show Joke Story Trick. It was a pleasure. It was the a lot of fun. And the trick. I'm not, I'm not sure about the story. The story was great, too. It was all great. All right. Yeah. I feel it was, good. It was a good time, and, and people loved it. Uh, so I'm happy to bring you on this podcast. Uh, and I've told you ahead of time, I don't tell people what the topic is. And all the questions have stakes. So they're, we're, we're gambling while we're, while we're doing quizzes. I've never been more scared in my life. <laughs> a little bit of a trepidation coming into this is, is good. Uh, for the first question, if you get it right, I will stop saying pin number when referring to my bank card. I will drop the, the redundant number, okay? Uh, if you get it wrong, not only will I say pin number, I will say ATM machine. So that's the stakes. High stakes. High stakes. Yeah, high stakes. Uh, okay, so here it is. There has been one successful coup d'etat in America. Which one of these describes that event? It's multiple choice. A, Laura Bush overthrew her husband and ran the White House in secret for two weeks in 2003. B, QAnon secretly overthrew the Biden administration last week and is using AI to convince people that Joe Biden is still president when the president is really Donald Trump. Or C, white supremacists overthrew a mixed-race government in Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898. I'm going to say the C, Wilmington, North Carolina. You are correct. That is the correct answer. Uh, I will stop saying pin number, and I will only start saying pin. Just pin. I love pin. it. I you know, if you had said it was 1998, I would have been like, I don't know, maybe. 
Yeah, it's Wilmington. true. It's oh, true. It's scary place. Could have been. It could have been 1998, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, that's true. The, there was a group of white supremacists, Democrat Party at the time, overthrew a, a, a mixed race government in Wilmington, hmm. North Carolina in 1898. And they were successful. They actually did it. Isn't it funny that, that the last time I was in Wilmington, they didn't mention it? No, they don't, right? Yeah, it's, it's not. It's, it's not, not on like many a thing the, that they like. <laughs> yeah, apparently there is a a plaque on the highway now, or there's a highway sign, you know, that it that yeah. talks about it. But uh, yeah, not you know, it's not something to be proud of if you're Wilmington, right? Okay, question two. For this question, if you get it right, I'll do any accent. I am notoriously bad at accents, so I'll say something in an accent of your choice. If you get it wrong, same goes for you. Accent of my choice. Okay. Right. I know. I don't know if you do accents, but I don't. Someone on TikTok recently asked me to do an Australian accent for a voiceover, and I did it. Well, I didn't do it well, but I did it. Okay, here it is. This is the question. True or false? Two white guys from the North are the best people to talk about racial tensions in the South. False. False. You're right. That is correct. Uh, it is, the answer is false. Uh, so you got that question right. I will do any accent that you choose. All right. I want to hear Russian. Okay. What do you want me to say in Russian? I want you to say, uh, I, I want you to do it like a cameo, and you're okay. wishing me a yes. happy birthday. I paid you to get, wish me a happy birthday. Okay. Even though my birthday is not for months. but Don Wilbur. <laughs> no, that was German. The German does the beat. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Don Wilbur, your friends paid for me to tell you happy birthday. I tell you happy birthday. Uh, you may recognize me from Rocky movies. I wish you happy birthday. You have very good friends. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. All right. Das Vidonia. Das Vidonia. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why. Like all Russian accents, it, it drops into a lower register. You got. You have <laughs> yeah, to become. You have to. You never it. like. You have to. Don Wilbur. It's never like yeah. a. You can't do a high pitch thing. Okay. <laughs> Question three. If you get this one right, I will send you a tell me what to Google sticker in the mail. I've got 200 of them left, and it is not the name of this podcast anymore. If you get it wrong, you have to send me some sort of Dan Wilbur merch, keeping in mind I already own a copy of your book. Ugh. So, sorry. I don't have sorry any about other that. Merch. I have to make a t shirt. <laughs> yes. I'd be happy with that. Which one of these amendments guaranteed equal protection under the law for all people, regardless of skin color? Was it A, the 13th Amendment, B, the 14th Amendment, or C, the Third Amendment? All right. Can I think through this? Yeah, the yeah. Third think out loud. The, Feel free. Okay, here we go. Because I want to do who wants to be a millionaire style. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, the Third Amendment is that you don't have to quarter soldiers. Yeah, so and, and I'll give you, you bonus points for knowing what the Third Amendment is. Not okay. a popular amendment. Now, I believe the 13th Amendment was the abolishing of slavery, and it also uh, said that you could basically have slaves if they were prisoners. So there's a big problem with the 13th Amendment. And I yeah. think the 14th Amendment is the answer. You are correct on all three of those. Uh, I did have a bonus part of this, which was if you could tell me what the Third Amendment was, because nobody knows the Third Amendment except yeah, you, it do, Dan. rarely, it rarely comes up. I think it came up in the '80s when, I, I guess, like members of um, 
some company went on strike, but they they were allowed to live there. And then the Coast Guard became scabs for the company. Whoa. So they were working for the company. And so they got to use the quarters and they sued them on the basis of the Third Amendment. And it's like never, ever come up otherwise. Wow. That might I, be a I good... might be, I'm misremembering a, a Wikipedia article. I read <laughs> it might years. be a good episode of this show to do uh, something about that. I'll have to look that up. I and it was definitely four in the morning and I Googled has the third amendment ever come up? Yeah. <laughs> since the revolutionary war. Yeah. Since, since we started. Right. Uh, so I will send you a, tell me what to Google sticker in the mail yes. at some point, uh, which may just yes. mean I'll put a few in my bag. And next time I see you on the road somewhere, I'll give you one. Um, but you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to mail it. I'm not going no, anywhere. That's great. Don't, don't, yeah. Don't, don't waste postage on me. Hey, you're worth the full. <laughs> I don't even know what postage is anymore. Look at me oh, being I, a millennial and not knowing how to something. mail something. If that know. were one of the questions, I would fail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, is it 42, how 44, much or is 46? US postage? Yeah, I wouldn't, know. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Question four. For this question, if you get it wrong, you have to attempt any tongue twister I give you. All right. If you get it right, you can give me a tongue twister of your choice. And this one is tough. The Wilmington insurrection took place in 1898. Who was the United States president at the time? Okay, you have three choices here. A, was right. it Woodrow Wilson? B, no. William McKinley? C, Andrew Johnson? Okay, Johnson is immediately after the Civil War, so that's, it's, uh, okay. Hold on, hold on. I got to think this through. Woodrow Wilson, World War One. So, and he's, uh, so that's like 1914. Uh, the, it's B. William McKinley. McKinley. It's McKinley. You are absolutely correct. William McKinley. Yeah. Who hails oh, from, uh, who hails from around 20 minutes from here. Not even. Probably 15 <laughs> minutes from, from where. And he was president for 10 minutes? No, he did Is a full that... term, and then he did part of oh. another term. Yeah, he completed his first yeah. term. Oh, uh, this, this last question. This is question five. And this one, Dan, is for all the marbles. If you get this wrong, I'm banning you from the show, never to be <laughs> asked on again. Uh, here's your question. What are you optimistic about? It's, it's okay to just say anything? Well, no, it's only okay to say what you're optimistic about. <laughs> I am optimistic that when people go back to normal, it will feel good for a long time. And it will be, I'm optimistic that like jaded, tired, uh, me, especially in New York, where I will be, I think that that will be over for at least three months. And then we'll go back and then we'll go back and it'll just be like nothing ever happened. And it'll be really sad because we're like, remember that thing? And like, we'll have to worry about it every year when there's yeah. a new one. And yeah. we'll it'll be very scary. But for like three months, we will continue. My neighbors will continue to talk to me for a full 45 minutes whenever I see them, which is I wish they would stop. But uh, I'm optimistic that it'll feel good for... Well Three no mask like the first three months of no masks are gonna feel really good. Let me uh, let me check with the judges. Okay, they say that's uh, an acceptable answer. The first three months of masks, uh, you are optimistic about. 
and uh, you have done very well on this on this show. You are five for five, and uh, I don't know how many people can say that. Maybe one other person has gone five for five on the quiz. So, but Man. this was a, a tough topic, and uh, you know, it's it's tough to learn about some of the stuff in our past that we that we we were not really proud of, and uh, you know, we can only learn from it and, and be better going forward. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Dan. I'd love to have you on the show again sometime. Tell people where they can find you on on uh, online. I'm on uh, Twitter. It's at Dan Wilbur. And now I have a TikTok, Dan Wilbur Comedy. Nice. I f- check it out. I follow Dan on TikTok. It's D-A-N-W-I-L-B-U-R, Dan Wilbur. Yes. I know a Dan Wilbur that's E-R. Yeah. How weird there, is we're that? We're the place. Yeah, but you're U-R, and... Uh, and there you are. Here you should, we are. You, should, you need yeah. a, that's that. Maybe that's what goes on your T-shirt. Listen, I want to come back and I want the questions to be 10 times harder. Maybe they'll be harder when I don't spend 15 minutes talking about just really <laughs> depressing stuff beforehand. Well, that's all for this week. Once again, thank you for listening. And I'm just going to make another quick plug for the Patreon. You'll find lots of bonus content over there, unedited interviews and quizzes with people that you can't see anywhere else. You can join for as little as $1 a month. And if you enjoyed this episode, but you can't swing a donation right now, no worries at all. There's something you can do that doesn't cost anything. Just leave a quick review of the podcast on iTunes, along with a sentence or two. Writing a few words helps a ton to allow other people to listen. Tune in next week to learn something new if the internet says it's true. The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions put them at producer status. Sean Brown, Catherine Morgan, Taylor Hurt, Bryce Swanson, Mitch Joseph Kemplin, Alan Sokolik, Eugene Anderson, and Matt McVeigh. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and additional music this week was from Wayne Jones and Godmo. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts and can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. <laughs> <laughs>